I have an illustration that I've, I've used a million times. You've been with me. And the reason I've used it a million times is because it reminds me of so many passages of Scripture that we have. There's so many that this is applicable to. In fact, I've used it for sunrise service. Selma, you could probably actually, where's Selma? You could actually probably get up and preach this illustration because every time I'm done, I usually give it to you or Jules or somebody, and you're like, oh, thanks, yeah. Because you know you got a balloon full of my spit and you just really didn't want it. But uh, anyways, it's a great illustration that illustrates the Scripture that we have today. And so uh, usually I use two different color balloons, but uh, I thought I grabbed two bags, and the one bag I grabbed that were the green balloons or the uh, non-red ones uh, actually were all popped. It seems that Keone must have tied, uh, blown them up and tied them, and we put them on a target, and he either shot them with his bow and arrow or his BB gun one because they were all popped, and that wasn't going to work. So we have red balloons, but this one I, I drew on it to make it a little bit different in here. And so when you come into the world, this is you. Hang on a second real quick. So this is you, and um, for all of you thought that you were really cute when you were born, this is what you really look like on a lot of cases right here, but uh, I drew on this one just to make it a little bit different. So this is you. You come into the world, you look like all the other babies, there you are, everything's good, and, uh, but this is your old nature. When you come into this world, who do you care about, y'all? Who do you care about, Gavin? You! Dude, if you cry in the middle of the night, like you're hungry in the middle of the night, all right, when your kids were hungry, you got pretty good kids, right? And they were hungry in the middle of the night, April... Did they say, oh, you know, they didn't cry in the middle of the night, right? They waited and said, you know, I love my mother, and my mother needs her sleep right now. And, and, and if I cried, that would wake my mom up. So I'm just going to wait until mom wakes up. Mom gets her coffee. Mom gets her devotion done. Mom does everything. And then I'm going to cry and just kind of gently let her know I need it. Is that what they did? No, they still don't do that. In the middle of the night, they're hungry. They're, Wah! Right? All right, and so again, when you come to this world, you are selfish. You only care about yourself. If you do anything to show care for another person, you can track it down, track it down, track it down. The reason you're doing it is for you. You found out you just catch more flies with sugar than vinegar. That's why you're so nice, right? And, uh, and so again, we're selfish. That's what the Bible teaches. And so at this point, you know, when you come to this world, um, you can be just like everybody else. But at some point, if you get sick of this, being the boss of your life and being this person right here, always being selfish, and by the way, things don't always work out that the way you want them to work out, right? How many of y'all know that, right? And so at some point, if you get dissatisfied and God gives you the desire and ability to surrender your life to him, you get what is called, and you do that, you become what is called born again. You're born again with a brand new nature that now that nature desires God. How many of y'all have been born again and have a new nature to glorify God and to love him, right? Yeah, you know when that happened, and if that didn't happen, man, you better check it out because that's part of it. So when you get born again and you have that new nature, what ends up happening, all right, you got Jesus here. Here's your old self, remember, all right? And so what happens is when you get born again, oh, that did not work. And did I give, okay, all right. Oh, my goodness. Whoo, okay, well, now you're awake. Some of y'all have to go change your drawers, but I'm not. <laughs> hang on, hang on. 
I think what God wanted is he didn't want me to rub that permanent marker balloon on my shirt and have my wife have more laundry. How many of y'all think that's the case? Yeah, in there. All right, so once, here's you, here's your old you. Sorry, you're just gonna have to use your imagination. But when you get, or here's, uh, when you give your life to Christ, what happens is your old you gets squeezed out and, and you get filled up. When you give your life to Christ, who, how much of your life did you give to Christ? And how much of your life gets filled up with Christ? All of it, all of it. How many of y'all remember when you were a brand new baby Christian, man? How many of y'all, y'all remember and all you'd wanted was Christ? All you wanted to do is be in the word. All you wanted to be around Christians. Y'all remember that? And then y'all got to be old, sour, pickle-sucking-faced Christians being lukewarm. And when you see a baby Christian, like, ah, they'll get back. They'll be like us sooner or later, right? No, that's not what's supposed to happen. What happens is you still got your old flesh. It has no power over you, has no authority over you. In fact, the Bible says it's crucified. But we have to believe through faith this is all we have is our new life in Christ. But... That old man is hanging in there, and we live in a world that feeds that old nature. And, and we want to be selfish sometimes. I need some me time. This is for me. Hey, you know, we, we want, we make bad decisions. With every decision we make, we're either feeding our old flesh. Woo, there we go. We're either feeding my, our old flesh, or we're feeding our new nature, which is Christ. Sometimes we like to think, oh, no, no, you know what? I'm just going to do those things that are socially acceptable in life that Christians do, and I'm just going to live like this. How many of y'all live like this, right? You know, it's like, it's excusable and so on, but no, you feed one nature or the other. When you get born again, dude, what do you see? You look like you're born again nature, right? But all of a sudden, the decision comes up and you say, should I do it God's way or should I do it my way? Yahweh or my way? Should I do it that? And you're like, oh, I'm going to do it my way. So you squeeze the Jesus out of you. Any of y'all ever made any decisions? Jack, you ever made any decisions where you squeezed the Jesus out of you? You did. Aren't you glad you didn't squeeze all the Jesus out of you? But what do you look like? You squeeze that much, and that's what you look like when you make bad decisions. That's what you look like when you follow the flesh. That's all the Jesus people see, but how much do they really see? What do they see? They see your old self is what they see. And that's with every decision we make. Every moment, every day, it's one or the other. It's not like, oh, here's my season now. Oh, wait, here's my season. Oh, I'm, I'm backslidden. I'm lukewarm. I'm going. No, I'm talking it happens all day, every day, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Before you came to Christ, all you had was your old nature. All you had was your old nature. And all you could do was what your old nature allowed you to do. That's why you had to be born again. You, have, uh, you can't experience the kingdom of God. You don't have a relationship with God. All you can do is what the lost nature allows you to do. But once you're born again, dude, now you can do what, what God wants you to do. You have a brand new nature to do what he wants you to do. Prior to that, you didn't have it. He had to make you born again with a spiritual nature to give you the ability to do it. So as a believer living on this planet, you have a choice. Before you're saved, you don't have a choice. You act like a lost person. And know that when you're dealing with a lost person, when someone doesn't have Christ, you can't expect them to act like a Christian. You're fooling yourself. They can't act like a Christian. 
I was a campus pastor of a, of a Christian school in Orlando for, for a, quite a while, about seven years. Uh, I was a youth pastor there. And, and they made it so, well, everybody's going to be a Christian if they go to the school. You know, so they only let Christians in, people who profess Christ. Well, guess what? The school was really small. <laughs> and they couldn't afford science labs and sports and all this. And like, well, you know what? We're going to now become an evangelistic school. And we're going to let anybody in and share the gospel. And that's a great idea. But they're going to have to obey Christian rules. And I told them they can't. You're going to hold them to Christian rules. They can't live the Christian life without Christ. You cannot live the Christian life the way he wants you to live it without the Holy Spirit living in you. So guess what? School expanded. Boom, boom, boom. Well, why? Why do we have this going on? Why? Because you have to have the Holy Spirit of God to live inside of you to live like a Christian. Amen? If you can live like a Christian without the Holy Spirit empowering you, you're not living biblical Christianity. So again, when you're unsaved, here you are. This is you. But when you get saved, and I wish these were two different colors. You can see why I usually use two different colors, but use your imagination. But when you get saved, now you can live like Christ wants you to live. You have to, by faith, make the decision to do the right thing. Right? Man, Marley, Lorelai. Y'all like kind of like little boyfriend, girlfriend right now? Is that right? I'm just, hey, y'all are here, dude. I'm calling. You know, okay, so I got Austin and Sophie. I'll pick on Austin and Sophie here. All right. Or I could get Paul and yeah, yeah, back there, you know, whatever. Whatever. It doesn't matter. All right, so let me ask you a question. In your relationship, in your relate, and dad's right here. <laughs> Dad, can, you, can you reach over, Sophie? Oh, piece of cake, right? <laughs> Terry's the one who said that you show the prospective boyfriend a bullet and you tell him it's way faster after midnight, right? But, just joking, all right, for you on the World Wide Web, right? But, but, but in this, listen, man, I, I, are there not emotions and things stir, desires stirred up? Have you and your relationship together had to make a decision? This is what God wants us to do, and this is what he hasn't. You, man of the relationship, the spiritual man, if you're not, get out right now. No, I'm just saying. But literally, you're the one who's the spiritual leader. God's calling. Have you had to say, this is what God wants it. We may want this, but this is what God wants to do. And you don't have to elaborate. Just say yes or no. Yes. Right. <laughs> you want to elaborate? No, I'm just joking. But no. But I'm just saying, Sophie, have you had to make a decision to say, you know what? No, this is what I... You're red. Why are you... Is that new makeup? No, I'm just joking. But seriously, have you, have you had to make a decision and say, mm, this is what I'd like to do, but no, this is what God wants me to do. Have you had to do that? Have you ever been, have you successfully chosen to do what God wants you to do? Yeah, because you have a new nature. And every one of us are in that, whatever the situation we're in, I just chose to pick on boyfriend and girlfriends right now because this is crucial. You've got to make the right decisions and know that you have the power to through faith. You just have to believe that God, what God wants you to do, and believe He gave you the power to do it. Man, you guys did awesome, man. All right. You too, even back. Give them a hand, y'all. Let them know you're praying for them because dating's hard, man. How many of y'all are glad you're married and you're not dating no more? No, I'm just joking. But you're dating your wife and your husband, right? But anyways, but, but again, so when you come to this world, you come in with an old nature that only desires you. Man, when you get born again, you got a brand new nature that now desires Christ. And with every decision you make, you're feeding one or the other. You don't look like both. You may to you, 
But it's like a bad picture, man. You've heard me talk about bad pictures. That bad picture that you got that you see on the internet and you tell people take it down, that ain't a bad picture. That's what you look like when you're not posing. That's you. And, 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 and here it is. So one or the other. So, man, again, when, when you came in this world, here you were. Man, we got born again. We got Christ in us. But sometimes we squeeze the Christ out of us. And there's not much. But you know what's going to happen when we die as believers? God at our death is squeezing all of the flesh out of us. The flesh is gone. And all you will have is the desire and ability to do what God wants you to do. How many of y'all are excited about that? You will have no more bad desire. Any desire you have will be one that God is going to fulfill. And that will be that way for eternity. You will never get in trouble again. Anybody here excited about that? Brad, you excited about that? Dude, every decision will be right. Everything we do will be successful. Everything will be the way God wants and will be perfect. So hang on. And again, make sure your flesh looks like this and that your spiritual nature looks like this. Don't let the world squeeze the Jesus out of y'all. Don't let him squeeze the Jesus out of you. Can't squeeze it all. And you're not going to be like that. You're going to be one or the other. So we're talking now about revival in Romans. And this passage of Scripture, oh my goodness, if you will not put on your spiritual pew armor. Y'all know what pew armor is? <laughs> pew armor. Trent, you know what pew armor is? Dude, pew armor is what Christians are so... As soon as you hear something that you know reaches down deep, dude, you put on that armor so that word of God can't penetrate. It's armor so that this does not apply to me. All of a sudden, it applies to everyone else. I know it applies to some. Man, this is one of those. It's kind of like the topic of forgiveness. It's one of those that, dude, Christians want to put on pew armor. And the easiest way to put pew armor on is to start thinking about somebody else that needs this. How many of y'all ever put on pew armor? All right, don't do it today. Expose yourself to this word of God. This word of God has a potential to give you more revival than anything we've preached so far. This is crucial in our day and age. So this revival through Romans, today we're hitting Romans uh, chapter 2 actually is where we're starting. And I kept thinking about that saying. How many of y'all heard this saying before? There but by the grace of God go I. You've heard that? Uh, it, it's attributed to a diff, few different people, and like all great sayings, Solomon had said, if it's true, it's not new. If it's new, it's not true. We don't really know who said it, but one of the guys it's attributed to is a guy named Bradford. Oh, I want to say, I can't think of his first name right now. Um, you could Google it up, and it'll tell you. In fact, uh, uh, do you want to Google it? It's on my phone. It's just, it's just, his name is Bradford. All right, we'll just go with Bradford. And uh, so that's his name is uh, something Bradford. Johnny Bradford, that's what it is, because I'm supposed to remember that. Johnny Bradford, that's his name, John Bradford. And in 1500s, mid-1500s, uh, he, he was actually with the Catholic Church, and he uh, had done some things, and that was about the Re Reformation time. And all of a sudden, he got born again, and he became a Protestant. But his family, and nobody liked all of that, and so he started reading the Word of God. Instead of obeying the church and doing whatever the church said, he started reading the Word of God and saying, I'm going to do whatever the Word of God says. And so they used to have a little nickname for Johnny Bradford. They'd call him, they'd call him Holy Bradford. 
Holy Bradford, you know, and uh, uh, better than Holy Smoke, I guess, or Holy Cow, but Holy Bradford, that's what they would call him in, in, in all this, it, because he lived holy. He tried to live holy, and they would make fun of him. Every time he made a decision that he didn't used to make before he was born again, they go, oh, there's Holy Bradford, there's Holy Bradford, and they would almost try to make fun of him to squash him, to get him to not do that anymore. But he would always say, there, but by the grace of God go I. If it was not for the grace of God giving me new desires, giving me a brand new desire to squish out the flesh, I would not be holy. So there, but by the grace of God, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be trying to live this way. And this grace is coming through faith, and I'm going to have eternal life with God, and you should have it too. And he would share the gospel. By the way, if you ever want to read a cool story, go uh, Wikipedia, actually, believe it or not, has a pretty decent story on him of, of his, how he got martyred and so on, and uh, almost burned, and all these different things. So go read that about John Bradford. Pretty cool. But there, but by the grace of God, go I. Have you ever seen somebody in a situation? How many honestly have ever saw somebody in a situation like, oh, how many of y'all have ever looked down on someone? Be honest. Honest. Let me see your hand. Yeah. We've all done that. We've looked down. Oh, you know, when I was a youth pastor, oh my goodness, it was so awesome because all the kids, we had like all kinds of different, we had, man, I had a thousand youth, but the kids, the moms of the kid ministry, dude, Oh, they were holier than thou. Oh, their kids were never, their kids' poop didn't stink. They told me that. No, I'm just joking. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, my kids will never, they would look at my youth down there doing things, and, and they, my youth will never do this. Oh, I can't believe that mom, and oh, my goodness. And they would go through such dramatic of how they're, dude, all, you know why the little kids did it? Because you could whoop their butt and get them into shape. You could control them. But once they started getting to be teenagers, it wasn't quite so easy. How many of y'all ever worked in youth ministry? You know what I'm talking about? JJ, you know, yeah. Dude, all of a sudden, I had so many of those parents, so many of them, and they caused so much trouble. Oh, they did. And, and they came back to me when their teenagers were youth, and they were like, we are sorry. Oh, we are sorry. We don't know what did we do wrong. And I'm like, you had a kid. It's like, what? what? They have your genes. <laughs> They're going to do their own thing. How many of y'all know that, that righteous parents can have unrighteous kids? Yeah. You know what? You look in the same family and you see all these different things. That's why Captain Mac, bless his soul, pray for him and Holly. As Wednesday, there's a funeral. Holly's mom finally passed away and they're having the funeral. But Captain Mac, one time we were out on a Bible study out on an island and he just out of, out of the blue goes, yeah, God gives us kids to drive us to our knees. It was like, what? And I'll never forget that. You just wait till they're teenagers. And again, it's how many of y'all were teenagers that were a terror to your parents? How many of y'all? How many of y'all are still teenagers terror? Yeah, and look how old you are, right, Sean? <laughs> I'm just saying. But but again, it's like they're going to be okay. It's going to. It is what it is. You teach them what you can teach them in all of this. But man, there before. But in the youth children's ministry, oh my, or in the youth ministry, it was uh, oh, it was it was crazy. And then again, like I said, they would apologize to me later saying we had no idea. And I'm like, I know you didn't. 
And, but you get on your face and you raise your kids the way you think you're supposed to raise them with the Word of God and with the Spirit of God and understand you cannot control the outcome. You can't. You're not going to. They have a relationship with Almighty God. Man, and hopefully they get it. I didn't get saved till I was seven years after my mom died. I can't wait to see my mom and let her know I'm saved, you know, in that. You can't control all that stuff. But there, but for the grace of God, go I. So many, you know, you look at people on the street, look at people in different situations, in drug situations, in addiction situations, and it's like, oh, oh, I would never. Look at people in prison. You go look at people in society situations that are like, oh, no. You look down and say, man, there's no way I'd ever be in that. You know what? I've been a pastor 33 years, and I'm going to tell you this. I know for a fact every stinking one of you is messed up. Every one of you's got stuff. But a lot of you put your little church face on. Maybe not this church. Y'all don't have church faces on here. I'm just saying other churches I pastor, people put church face on like, you know. And, 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 if, and if it's not enough to try to outwardly hide it in your family and everybody knows it, you hide it inside. You hide it. And you try to act even with your own family like everything's okay. How many of y'all know you are not okay? I see your hand. You're not. If you were okay, you would be in heaven right now. That's when it's going to be okay, amen? Right now, we have problems biblically. And and what we're going to learn today, the only reason you're in the situation you're in right now is by the grace of God. Because if it were not for the grace of God, you would be burning in hell eternally. Do you understand that? I don't care how good morally you think you are or how bad morally you think you are. That's what Scripture says. Who gave you the breath that you have right now? Everybody go, take a breath in and hold it. Like you're never going to get another one. What happens if you don't get another one? You die. Who gave you another breath? Who's pumping your blood right now? Who's given you everything you have? It's God Almighty. And why is he giving it to you? Because you're holy and you're deserving and, whoa, God can't live without me. You know, no. No. It's a good thing God looks at us and the way we're going to be in our future. In our future, we're going to be perfect and that's how he sees us. And right now, it's a process where he's trying to help us become more like him. But when you try to help somebody who doesn't want to be helped, they don't want to be helped. And God just passes on. That's what we saw in Romans chapter 1. Until you realize you got a problem, you can't be fixed. Oh, we know that about the big stuff like addiction. But what about pride? What about being a judgmental person with a critical spirit, which is what we're going to look at today? What about those things, those socially acceptable things that we can say everybody has? Every single day that I get into God's word, I'm looking for two things. I'm looking for encouragement on what I'm doing right, and I'm looking for conviction on what I'm doing wrong. I'm not masochistic. I know, how many of y'all know you're a long way from God? And the closer you get to God, the closer you get to him, the farther you see you're away from him. 
And it's not a depressing thing because you have God Almighty that wants to take you and make you more like Him. And the more, how many of y'all want to be like God? Yeah. You better be if you're going to heaven because that's what you're going to be like forever. (laughs) You don't want to be like God now. Dude, I might not really want to be like that in heaven. I'm just saying. So he's given us a chance, MJ, through faith to be more and more like him. Is your life better being more like God or less like God? More like God. Exactly. So as he exposes things to us, it's not to beat us down. What it's for is that when we become more like him, or at least we know we're on that path, we know he's taking us there. We know he's got it. It gives us confidence to know one day we will be. And also, he loves you too much to keep you where you're at. He loves you too much. Alana. Alana? Oh, she's stubborn like Emily, man. And uh, Emily, uh, you're potty trained now, right? Okay, good, good. Skylar, there you go. You can thank me later, all right? But I'm just saying... Alana, she's potty trained. Why isn't she potty trained? Because she don't want to be potty trained. (laughs) Alana can probably take a toilet apart and fix it, knows everything there is to know about a digestive system. Like Emily, she knew everything. I'm just saying, I'm not saying it took her until she was eight to be potty trained or anything like that. But no, but I'm just saying, Alana's smart. She knows everything. You know why Alana doesn't want to go poo poo on the potty? Dude, I have bribed her with gummy worms. How many of y'all go poo poo on the potty for gummy worms? I'm just saying. Dude, she's like, oh, gummy worms. Nope, can't have them until that. She just doesn't want to. She's stubborn. And it's like, tell Ashley, you know what? Don't worry about it. At some point, she will want to. At some point, it's going to happen. She's got to make the decision. She's going to move forward. Because at some point, it might be first grade, second grade, third grade, where she's wearing a diaper, man. She's wearing it to the prom. (laughs) It's It's like, at some point, it's going to be uncomfortable to live that way. Can you imagine Selma wearing a diaper to the prom? I'm just saying. Or you're rowing. It's like, I ain't listening to that baby. She got a diaper on. It's like, at some point, you're going to be uncomfortable living in your sin, living in your immaturity. As soon as you rip that church face off, you rip that pride off, you rip the bandage off, and you get some peroxide on it, and any other holistic thing, silver, sorry, silver on it. I'm just saying, dude, that's what's got to happen. Revival, that's what revival is. Man, you draw a circle. Gypsy Smith said uh, in the 18, early 1800, uh, mid-1900s, man, draw a circle around yourself. When there's revival in that circle, there'll be revival everywhere. There, but for the grace of God, go I. If you know you're making the right decisions because of grace then keep using grace to make. Why would you ever want to live in your pride and stay in your self-righteousness in the flesh instead of pursuing grace? You know why? Because of bad theology. Because of pride. So let's dig into this and look. This is where we're at contextually in Romans 1 and 2. We're going to start Romans 2 today. I'm not preaching through this, Terry. I'm just going to bust through these verses right here in Romans 1, 26 through 32. This is where we ended last week. And Paul was speaking to those heathen, carnal people in Rome that, oh, they have become homosexual. They have become, they have become everything that, that will take a society down. And that's where he's talking to them. And, and, and here's what's happening. The group he's getting ready to talk to in chapter 2 are going, get them, Paul. Get them, Paul. Woo! We are not like them. We are not like them. 
And he gets ready to talk to all them that are not like them and says, you're exactly like them, only different. But here's what we, where we took off last week in this. Look at this real super quick. Romans 1, 26 to 32. This is after people make their own gods, reject the God, reject the revelation God gave them. He said, for this reason, God gave them up. Worst place to be in the world, to not have God's hand on you. This reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. What's the only honorable passion, y'all? To glorify God. He purchased you with a price to glorify him. Sean, you get a surfboard, man. What's the purpose of that surfboard? Yeah, to get barrel, to go rip up waves. What if your wife, Savannah, who knows the purpose, decides there's another purpose and she starts banging in fence poles with it? <laughs> what, what are you going to do? Well, don't tell me what you're going to do. Are you at least going to go, oh, <laughs> yeah, oh, you know? That we've got to use things the way God designed them to be used in all this. So he, God leaves them alone. They come up with their own unnatural passions, which is true for all of us. The moment we choose to do it our way instead of God's way, we come up with the wrong passions. We have passion for the wrong thing. That's what he's going to bring up to all the morally righteous people in chapter 2. God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are uh, that are contrary to nature. He goes, oh, that wasn't bad enough. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. That's what scripture has to say about y'all. And receiving in themselves due penalty for their error, both now, later, and in eternity. He goes on. He said, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Hey, God, what do you think we should do in this thing? And by the way, we preached on all of this last week. So if you're thinking, well, he's skimming all that over. He's scared. No, no, go hit, go, go listen to last week's message. But I told Terry I wasn't going to preach on it again. I'm telling all y'all I'm not preaching on it again, but I just want you to get you in the context of where we're at. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. In other words, God, you know, we don't really need you. God said, okay, fine. I'll let you go. You're on your own. You want to do it your way? Do it your way. But whenever, if you're not dead and you still want to do it my way, you can come to me anytime. I'm right here. I'm right here. God says, come to me. So when's it too late to come to God? When you're dead. That's it. They, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up again to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And so here's all of the religious people in Rome, the Jews who still don't believe in Christ, they're like, huh, we don't have a debased mind. We have morals. Seneca, go look up that dude. He wasn't a Christian by any means, but he, he was admiring Christians. Wow. Or, and, and even the Jews for what they did. That, yeah, we have morals. We have God's law. We have God's, we, we're going to focus our life on following God's law. What did Christ say about them? He said, y'all are like whitewashed sepulchers. You know what sepulcher is? It's a grave. On the outside, dude, you've been pressure washed. You look clean. But on the inside, it's death and decay. you got to be born again. you got to deal with this stuff. Every day, God's got to be showing you stuff to deal with, and you got to deal with it to become more like him. Don't Romans later, we're going to say, don't be conformed to the world. Don't change from the outside in, but be transformed. Change from the inside out. Because what's on the inside is what's going to come out. So he said, man, God just, you know what? So as Paul's like, and you have a debased mind, and y'all are doing wrong things, all the religious people are going, woohoo! 
Get them, Paul. Uh, hey, let's all give ourselves a round of applause for not falling into that category. Come on, let's do it. No, no, no. Y'all have read Romans chapter 2, haven't you? Because <laughs> that's the way they were feeling. Let's give ourselves a big applause because we're not like those people there. But what are you like? Paul goes on and talks about, said, well, these people, we'll finish this. They were filled with all manner of, look what, look what it turned into. And you look at this list and see if when Paul says, those of you who are morally righteous, how many of y'all would say you're morally righteous? You have a code of morals. You can raise your hand on this. That's okay. It's not a trick question. You have a code of morals that, that God has, and you say, you know what? I want to live by God's morals. I agree with God's morals. Let me see your hand. All right, good, good. Don't be afraid. Yeah. But how many of you have arrived? How many are perfect at it? How many got nothing left to work on? How many of y'all know people that have stuff to work on? So should you focus on what they have to work on or what you have to work on? But what should you focus on? But what's easier? What's easier? Oh, yeah, dude, Chris. <laughs> you know that guy. Dude. Bill, Cindy, man, let's go. We're going to go out to lunch with you guys. We'll go to a little Thai place, dude. Man, we can talk about everyone in the church. I'll spill all the dirt, bro. But not me. Don't talk about me. Isn't that why we talk about other people? Isn't that why we become self-righteous? Isn't that why we have a judgmental spirit? Because the choice is either we're judging them or we're judging ourselves. And what's easier to do? Judge others. I'm telling you guys, if you don't put your spirit, you don't put your pew armor on, you can have revival. If every time, how often does this come up in life? How often in a day is it going to come up that you're going to have a chance to bash somebody else? And how often is it going to come where you have a chance to work on something of your own? Every single time it comes up, every, you, what is that saying? You point your finger, Chuck, I got one finger pointing at you. How many I got pointing at me? Three, I, yeah, I'm not a monkey, man. No, I'm just, I'm not so, yeah, I got three. This one's pointing up, but yeah, to remind me, I need God. But uh, how many fingers do you have, man? No, I'm messing with you. Seriously, but I got way more pointing at me than I got pointing at you, you know? And that's what it's about. Every time somebody brings it up of, oh, well, what about those people? What about this? Oh, oh here's this and here's, dude, pray. Beg God, say, God, show me where I'm. You brought this up in my life. Show me where I have problems with this. Instead of participating in the ungodly conversation of self-righteousness and a critical spirit, say, God, reveal to me where this is true. That's hard. You know the people you hate the most? I'm going to tell you this. I learned it after 33 years of ministry. The people you cannot stand are the people most like you. I'm telling you, you're, you're going to be challenging me with that later, but I'm telling you, you know why you can't stand them? Because you see yourself in them and you want to shun them as quick as you can. And it may not be the exact thing, but it's similar. There's this, down in the root, you see it and it's like, oh, don't let me see that. No, get away from me. You're horrible. You're horrible. And, and you move on so you don't have to look at them because they remind you too much. And if you dwell on long enough, you're going to see it's true. But the point is, when that person, that situation, when those things come in, man, is, hey, Brandon, good to see you, bro. Is God trying to rip you down when God reveals, Brandon, you got anything wrong with you, man? All right, good. When God shows you you got something wrong, is he trying to rip you down and beat you down into submission? Or is he trying to make you better? 
man, have you ever had your brothers let you walk around with like green in your teeth or your zipper down or something messed up all day? And like, why didn't you tell me? Yeah, they lay you down. It's a good thing when God reveals to us things that are wrong. And he gives you the power to fix it. Only he does. So look at this, man. They were all filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Boy, doesn't that sound like self-righteous, judgmental people with a judgmental spirit? Full of evil, murder. And by the way, what did Jesus even say in the, Beat- or in the Sermon on the Mount? Oh, you Pharisees, you never had adultery? Huh. You may not have physically had adultery with someone's wife, but you've lusted after them and bam, you've had it. Oh, you may not have murdered anybody like that guy in prison or that person. Man, you, but he said, you have had anger and so you have murdered them. And we're not preaching on that today, but you have murdered them in your heart. You have murdered them in your brain. You've murdered them to other people when you've been angry with them. So I wonder if you maybe deserve to be on death row more than that guy who just simply killed about four people physically. And I'm not making light of that. But how many sins does it take for God to put us on the death penalty? One, we're sinners, we sin. That's why we need to be born again with a new nature. And when we're born again, we are not instantly like him. Positionally we are. When we die, we're going to heaven because we're just like him. But practically speaking, we got a lot to work on, don't we? Every day. Don't compare yourself to the other sheep, man. Hang out with the shepherd. Quit comparing yourself to people. That's the most detrimental thing you can do. Nobody tells you to compare yourself to others. We're supposed to compare ourselves to Christ and keep working towards looking like him. Man, they're filled with all manner of unrighteous evil, covetous malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips. All right, let's give ourselves a hand of applause. We're not those people. Woo! But wait a minute. How many of y'all? How many of y'all? How many of y'all look in the mirror and seen one of them people before? Woo! Yeah. But they're in that list with homosexuals and with all that stuff. So you know what? There's a list. Yes, we are not them. Paul says, "Yes, you are." Even after you're born again practically speaking, you are. And he wants you to become more like him and he wants to give you the power to do it. Man, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, gave him up to a debased mind uh, to do what that ought to be done. Did I already read that? Yes, there we go. I hit the wrong thing. Slanders, haters of God, insolent. Uh, that, that's haughty. That's, that's arrogant about being that way. Boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those that practice them. You know what that is? That's your little group. And I know every one of y'all been in this little group before because this group is looking for you. (laughs) How hard would it be to find a self-righteous, critical spirit, judgmental group to hang out in? How hard would that be? Would y'all have to look very far? No, dude, you just start, throw your bait out. You know what the bait is? You criticize something. You be judgmental and blameful. Throw the bait out, you know? You throw some bait off your dock, what happens, bro? 
Fish come from everywhere. By the way, he has a dock on Indian River. So if y'all, you know, just go see Gavin later. But fish come. He just told us fish come from everywhere. He didn't tell you what kind of fish. But yeah, they come. You throw the bait out. That's all you got to do to find that kind of group. It's looking for you. Satan's got them all set up, even as, especially as a believer. Because this can so mess up your testimony, mess up your relationship with God, mess up your relationship with others, mess up, you can mess up churches, you can mess up communities, you can mess everything up with this, and it's so easy, dude. What kind of bait you got to throw over your dock to get the fish to come? Dude, you know what I do? How many, how many of y'all have ever done this? Y'all been on a dock, and you know there's fish, and you ain't got no bait. How many of y'all are spitting the water? You ever spit in the water and watch the fish come, poof, and they come to eat your spit? I'm not trying to be gross, but I'm just saying, it don't take much to trick them, and it don't take much to trick you. On a moment-by-moment basis, that's why we can have revival through Romans if we realize this, and we're on guard. And the moment we realize the Holy Spirit is showing us this is who we are, we repent. And we use his goodness that he hasn't judged us, that he hasn't taken us down. And we repent and say, God, I want to be like you. Please forgive me. He's already forgiven your past, present, future sins. But when he forgives you here, he's restoring this relationship. Because you're no longer walking away. Now you've repented and you're walking back towards him. How often should we repent? Michelle, you've been quiet all day. How long should we? How often should we repent? Yeah, as often as we need to. Which is all the time. Yes. I'm glad you admitted it. I was going to say something about that because, you know, we need to talk. But, um, no, all the time. Anytime we find ourselves going in a different direction than God, we need to turn, repent, and go back. So that was last week. <coughs> it's only 1044, man. For, I got all the way to last week. This is the new stuff. There but for the grace of God go I. Right? Or do I? <laughs> Or do I? And Paul says, yeah, when you're following God's grace, you're doing the right thing. But when you're not following God's grace, you're just like your old self, like the two balloons. You can squeeze the Jesus out of your life, and you can even do it with a bunch of Jesus people and convince yourself that y'all are all, that y'all are all following Jesus, because I've done that. I've been there. We do it with disc often sometimes, don't we? And then we need somebody. Trent, we need our disc golf chaplain back. <laughs> Trent always brings us back to Christ and we start whining and fussing and stuff. We've missed you, brother. And you're going to start playing with us too, right? Yeah, man. And, 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 and yeah, you need somebody to bring you back. Yeah, and bring you back to what's really important, and that's being like Christ. There, but for the grace of God, go I. There is no room for self-righteousness in Christianity. Who's better than, is there anybody better than anyone else in Christianity? Do you know who you're going to be rubbing shoulders with? Hey, bro, you know, you're going to be, if you're in heaven, you're going to be rubbing shoulders with Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist, dude, and Peter. And Peter might punch you, but I'm just saying, you're going to be rubbing shoulders with these guys. You know, are they going to be better than you in heaven? Are they more important than you in heaven? No, because the only reason any of us are in heaven is because of who? More specifically, Christ and what he did. We all got saved the same way. So what makes you think? Because of circumstances that people are in and seasons are in that you don't fully understand. And maybe God may have to take you through those seasons for you to understand, to think 
in your wildest dreams, you're better than somebody else. Scripture doesn't tell us to do that, ever. That's what I love about driftwood, dude. Man, I don't ever want to see any self-righteous, judgmental spirit attitudes in here because, dude, we got people from all socioeconomic statuses, all different places they come from, but our common denominator here is who? It's Christ. And we're all trying to see life from God's perspective. And everyone here needs to see it that way. Yeah. Dude, I love our demographic. For those of you who don't know, I, don't talk about, I haven't talked about this in a while, but just super quick, our demographic here is about probably 25, 30, maybe 30% of y'all are locals that don't happen to be out of town today or have something better to do than go to church. But I'm just saying, but it's like you're locals, right? All right? And then another 25, 30% are people that live here three to six months out of the year. You say, oh, those are snowbirds. Not like normal snowbirds, dude. They are here all the time. How many of y'all know snowbirds are here all year round now? They own houses. They have, floor, they have disguised themselves with Florida license plates. And, and so what I'm saying is, dude, they're here off on, off on, off on, off on, or six months at a time and three months. And we love our snowbirds. And then another 25, 30% are people called, the Michigan people call them snowflakes. However, I had some people who fell in that category said, no, we're snow flurries. And what that means is they fall on us and they dissipate. So they come for two, two weeks, maybe three, and then they leave. And then they do that five, six times a year. Pittsburgh Rob's one of them. Sometimes they come and they move here, actually, and then they become another category. But boom, they, they fall. And then another 25%, probably, I would even guess in here, are people that we have never met ever. When we go paddleboard and we go out on the boat, we go, it's always, there's a group of people we have never met before. And so because of that, I think there's a good vibe that everybody just loves everybody and nobody's sitting in anybody's seat except the Sturgills. And when you're gone, people sit in those seats, bro. When you're here, I know y'all claim them. It's all good. But man, we don't have seats here. In fact, you don't even know which way the seats are going to be arranged, do you? But we have a spirit of love. Dude, who are you? Awesome, man. Because we're all just people who are believers. Maybe not, but we're trying to help each other see life from God's perspective. Amen? Hey, let me ask you a question. Who makes rich and who makes poor? He says that in Scripture. You know, he makes every kind of person there is, and everybody's not supposed to be rich, and everybody's not supposed to be poor. Everybody's not supposed to be educated, and everybody's not supposed, supposed to not be educated. Everybody's not supposed to be not hungry and hungry. You know, I've been all over the world, and I've seen solid, spirit-filled believers in all kinds of socioeconomic categories. You know why? Because God wants to reach everyone. What we learned during COVID, we thought everybody was like us, didn't we? Until we found out, whoa, everybody's not like me. They're not. You have a circle you're supposed to reach. You have a circle you're supposed to reach. Worst thing we've ever done in the mission field is try to make everybody an American. Oh, man, we need to make, right, Jeff? Oh, we're, every, in Haiti, you guys need showers, and you need like jobs like us, and you, need, you would be successful. And they're looking at us like, I don't know that that's really successful, <laughs> you know. Y'all ain't got time to breathe. You're on this self-imposed schedule you have and so on. So again, we help each other out in all of this. That's who we are. There but for the grace of God go I, or do I? Sometimes I don't because I don't implement the grace of God. 
There's no room for self-righteousness in Christianity. Now look at what we get to. It only takes, how about this? It takes one to know one. Y'all ever heard that before? Doesn't that sound says sixth grade boy? <laughs> takes one to know one, right? But it does. How do you know if someone's messed up if you don't know the definition of messed up personally? And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's getting ready to tell us. He's saying, you only know that because deep down, you got the same issue, only maybe a little different. But you got enough personal information to be able to make that judgment call. So you got two choices now. You can either work on you, which is painful sometimes, or you can spend all your time now working on them <laughs> and feel good about yourself and never fix yourself. Look at this. It, only, it takes one to know one. Confess that you are guilty in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you know what the word confess means? The word confess means to agree with God. Agree with God. God says you're wrong. How many of y'all ever heard God say you're wrong? How many of y'all ever said, but, 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 I'm wrong, but. <laughs> no, no ifs, ands, or buts when God says, when you confess, God, I am wrong and you are right. But that person, but those people, but this circumstance. But no, God says, no. Who do you think orchestrated all this in your life? You're wrong. I'm right. That's what confession is. And if you confess and say, God, no matter what, you're right. I'm wrong in this. He said he will forgive us and be faithful to cleanse us from unrighteousness. But what if you don't fully agree with God? Are you ever going to be cleansed? April, are you going to be cleansed from unrighteousness if you don't agree with God? It was like, well, if Gavin wouldn't have done that. And if all, I'm not saying you are, but I'm just saying, if you don't confess that God's right and you're wrong, are you going to be cleansed from all unrighteousness? No. You're going to keep doing it. You might, oh, your arm may be cleansed. Or everything outside your clothes might be cleansed, but under your clothes, dear, you stink. I'm just saying. You got to spread it wide open. Here I am, God. Here I am, because God, God already knows what you look like without your clothes on, spiritual clothes, if you will. He already knows what you are. Confess it to him. God, I don't want to be this way anymore. Well, maybe you do, because it hurts too much to admit you're somebody you have convinced yourself that you're not. You know, the most self-righteous people are the most insecure people. Insecure. I can't, oh, I can't. Oh, I'm already all, I can't, no. Oprah says I have to, no. Takes one to know one. Confess you're guilty and God will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness immediately in this. Check it out, Romans chapter 2, verse 1, the new stuff, all right? Therefore, because of everything that happened in the first chapter and all of the righteous Jews who were religious were all clapping their hands and saying, aren't you glad we're not like them? Let's give ourselves a round of applause. He said, no. Therefore, you have no excuse, oh man. Every one of you who what? Every one of you who what? Look, the answer's up there, bro. Every one of you who what, Austin? Judges. Every one of you who judges, you have no excuse. If you have enough knowledge to judge and say that's wrong, you did not learn that out of a book. You learn that from personal experience because I know who you are. And this is what the Word of God says. Every man of one of you who judges, and notice he's not saying judging is the problem because we are supposed to look at stuff and say, this is right, this is wrong. This is right, this is wrong. And what are we supposed to do with that? We're supposed to apply it to ourselves. 
Yes, we try to avoid situations that are wrong. We make judgment calls there. But what we don't do is we don't look down on others. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, look at this, in passing judgment on another, you condemn who? Yeah, dude. Jack, let's try this. You learned from Chuck's mistake, right? I point one finger at you. How many of I got pointing back at me? Three. Chuck, I point one at you, man. There we go. <laughs> Amen. There's more pointing back at me. That's the purpose in it. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Why? Here's not the condemnation that you judged. We have to make wise decisions. Here's your condemnation. Because you, the judge, you, the judge, you've made yourself the judge in this matter. What's the next word? Everybody, Austin, lead us. What's the next word on the count of three? One, two, three. Oh, all three of you. Thank you. <laughs> Seriously, what is it? Look at it. Because you judge those who've made yourself the judge, you practice the same things. You practice the very same thing he says. So let me ask you a question. Why are you in trouble? Because you judge? No. But you're judging people and you're practicing the very same thing. The very same thing you're accusing them of. If you ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart, you will find you're probably guilty of the same thing. What does the world call that? A hippo, hippo, a what? Whew, a hypocrite, yeah. <laughs> that word came from the theater, theatrical world in Greece where they would, where, where they would have one dude, he was a man, and he would be the actor, and he'd put on a mask and be like, oh, I'm happy, and then he would go back and change to a face and go, oh, I'm sad, <laughs> and then he would, uh, he would uh, put on another mask and he says, oh, I'm married, <laughs> like, he, he put on a fa uh, different faces to represent things, and that was a hypocrite. He put on different faces to represent different things, and the world took it. God doesn't want us to be a hypocrite. He wants us to be honest with him. And don't you want to be honest? Hey, let me ask you a question. How many of you all know the people around you got problems? How many of you all know the people around you don't know they have those problems? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they have a blind spot. Why is it called a blind, Barb, why is it called a blind spot? You don't see it. But boy, Jim behind you, he, he can't even pay attention to the message because it's like a big target on your back. He sees it. So what does that say about your relationship with Jim? You, you need him to help you with the blind, even though he's married, that's his wife. I'm not trying to like, you know, yeah. <laughs> and you're married, I know that, but I'm just saying, we help each other see our blind spots. But do we go around collecting blind spots on people and categorizing a little blind spot category and, 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 and be judgmental and have a critical spirit? No, anytime you find yourself with a critical spirit, point it back at you and ask God to remove that critical spirit from you because Satan will use it to destroy your marriage, your family, your home. He will destroy your church. He will destroy anything you are a part of because you're a cancer with that critical spirit. I've watched it for 30 years, man. It happens. You can have revival if every time you find yourself with that critical spirit, you will turn it back on you and ask God to fix you. That's revival. 
Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. Who said you? Who? Uh, everybody read this in the first person, all right? It says, because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. Everybody say, everybody say this, because I, the judge, I practice the very same thing. Tanya, why is that so hard for you? Tanya's over here, I'm not even going to say it. I can't. She's trying with her mouth, and her mouth won't even work on it. How many of y'all got a mouth problem? It won't even work where you can say, but I practice it. No, I can't even say it. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm messing with you, but isn't it a hard thing to say? It's true. And sometimes God has to bring in our own life for us to see it about ourselves. Because we can't see it any other way. Right now, I'll bet you some of you are saying, oh boy, I, you know what? I'm going to send this message to somebody. They need it. You just missed the whole stinking point. You need it. I need it. Have you ever heard that saying? You got to practice what you preach. <laughs> you know how hard this junk is for me on this? It's like I got, uh, and I say junk in a respective way. It's just like, oh, so every time I want to criticize, and I'm good at it. How many of y'all are good at criticizing, man? Yeah, I'm good. And I'm good. I'm an instigator, dude. I can drag people in with me. I can get a group and a posse in a quick instant. But now, as soon as that happens, I got to turn it back on me and say, God, dig down deep and show me why this has rubbed me this way and where I'm guilty of this. Because this is not of you. This is of Satan, and I'm yours, and I want to become more like you. And do that if you want revival. You'll have opportunities. If you go out to eat, you're going to have an opportunity, I guarantee you. Because the restaurant's not getting it perfect. Therefore, you have no excuse, oh man. Every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you judge. You, the judge, practice the very same thing. So what if right now you said, no, I don't, no, I don't, no, I don't. How many of you inside are like, no, no, I don't. Yeah, I know you're not even going to raise your hand. I can tell by smiles on your face, some of you, but, <coughs> but yeah, how many of y'all, all right, how about this? How many of y'all want to say, no, I don't? I just want to, but you know you can't. Anybody? I, I, no, I don't. No, I don't. The word of God from a God who cannot lie just says you do. You can either confess it, run to him, or run away from him at this point if the Holy Spirit's bringing conviction. Look at the next verse. Oh, check this out. Matthew 7. What, is, what does it say? Here's the world likes to use this one. And this is in the Beatitudes. And by the way, uh, not Beatitudes, but in the Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, chapter 5, 6, and 7, that's where he was going to the Pharisees and saying, you've not done this physically, but you've done this internally. And sin is sin is sin. No sin is worse than the other. The consequences are in this world. But eternally, the sin is a sin is a sin. He said, judge not that you be not judged. So the world wants to stop there, but look at the context of this. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. So the standard you use, that you choose to use in your little posse, in your little circle, 
even in your own, wherever it is, your little group, the standard you choose to use is a standard God says, okay, you've told me what your standard is. Now I want to use that on you. You know what? I'll use that on you. And, and it may not be exactly the same, but I'm going to show you how it is because it all comes down to your heart in this. You may not have the same action, but you've got the same motivation. I'm going to use that same standard on you. And, and again, how many of y'all, when, uh, when it comes to somebody else, you want justice? But when it comes to you, you want mercy, right? <laughs> you really want the same standards that you've been using on everybody else? I don't think you do. Because as it goes on and it gets out of hand and the flesh grows, the standard becomes, woohoo! and let's give ourselves a round of applause because we're not guilty like that. Word of God says you are. That's why we can't let the devil take us out. We've got to come back and deal with us. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured against you. He's not really telling us not to judge. He's just saying, don't hold somebody to a different standard than you hold yourself. And when you find you haven't held up to that standard, you need to repent, you confess, you go to God, and you get it right with you. And that ought to keep you busy. Here's what he says. Look at this. He goes on, he says, this is why I keep busy. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your eye? Because <laughs> I'm left-eyed. I'm used to this. I'm already used to it. I see it. I, you know what? I, I, I don't even see this anymore. You know that's true. The more something's in our view, like a, a, a paint chip in your house or a dirt spot in your house, at first like, oh, and then after about 10 years, it's like you just walk right by it, right? I'm just saying, but you don't see it. He's like, why? Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? Hey, Gavin, take off those glasses. You have a speck in your eye. Let me get this speck out of your eye. <laughs> Let me get the speck. And then now you're in a group of people with logs in their eyes. You got a whole log-eyed group here, man. You make some t-shirts, get some license plates, and stickers, and start your own company, man. Now, can you imagine a whole group of people with logs in their eyes coming at you, wanting to help you? Brad, can I help you? And I got 10 more with logs in their eyes wanting to help you. It's like, no, get away from me. You're going to hurt me with that log in your eye. In fact, what's the point of this? If I've got this log in my eye, what's the first thing I need to do, Jack? What's the only thing I need to do? I need to get this log out of my eye. Let me ask you a question. Can you get the log out of my eye? Can I get the log out of my eye? No, that's self-righteousness. Oh, I'm going to, you know what? I know enough. I've read enough books. I've been with enough experts. I'll pull the log out of my eye. No, you cannot pull the log out. Who's the only one who can pull the log out of your eye? God Almighty. So when you have that log, and when you see someone, if I saw Brad walking towards me, I should have brought two logs. Sorry, bro. Uh, if Brad was walking towards me with a log, should I be like, ha, oh, y'all look at Brad, he's got a log in his eye, ha, look at him with a log, old log eye Brad, you know, and is that what I'm supposed to do? No, you know what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to start thinking, whew, that sure looks kind of foolish, that's kind of, met. boy, that would be uncomfortable, boy, that would be kind of hurt, hurts, hurtful, that, that doesn't look like he would be very successful in life with a log in his eye, you, you know what I'm supposed to do? God, do I have a log in my eye? 
You see someone with a log in their eye, it's not to make fun of them, it's not to help them and not to figure that situation out. Because can I help you get a log out of your eye if I got a log in my eye? No. Can I take the log out myself? Can you take the log out? Who's the only one who can take it out? And so what do I do when I see you with a log? What do I do? Do I, ooh, do, do I, do I mess with you or do I realize I have a log too? And the only one who can take it out is who? So what do I need to do when I see someone with a log in their eye? Who do I need to go to? God, God, please take the log out of my eye. Boom. And he takes the log out of my eye. It's not so a bunch of log-eyed Christians and log-eyed people can all... Because every group's a bunch of log-eyed losers, man. And it's not so they can all like, well, you got, a bigger, you got bigger logs than we have. We, you, you, you got fruit. You've had those logs long enough. You got fruit growing off those logs, man. You guys are messed up. You're more messed up than me. Oh, you got northern wood. You've got southern wood. You've got... No, dude. Every person needs to go to God Almighty. Go to God Almighty. When you see someone with a log in their eye, it's so much easier with all your other log-eyed friends, isn't it, Sally, to talk about all, whoa, did you see their logs? I think that one lady, she had two logs, man. She can't see nothing. <laughs> it's so easy to do that. But what's hard is to say, that log in their eye reminds me of the log in mine. God, is there a chance I have a log in my eye? Is there a chance? And God says, oh yeah, there's more than a chance. In fact, I just told you in Scripture, you do. Until you're perfect, you got a log in your eye. Whose log you got messed? Whose log you had to pay attention to? Jack, whose log you got, log you got to take? Who's, who's got the most important log to get out right now for you? Yourself. And the only one that can do it is God. You can go pay for all the psychiatrists, all the whatever you want. Andrea, no, you're, you're a professional. Who are you going to, you're a professional counselor. Who are you going to point them to? God, you can't, you got training, you got degrees, you got certificates on the wall of your boat. You, in the salon, I know it's also, you got, man, but you can't pull logs out. All you can do is point them to the person that can. So when you see people with logs, dude, get on your face before God because God is trying to show you that you got a log and he wants you to pull it out. And it's hard. Because you know what happens when that gets pulled out? He's going to show you another log in your eye. Hey, Chuck, when are you going to no longer have logs in your eyes? When you're in heaven, bro. So let me ask you a question. If you're so busy dealing with the logs in your own eye, Chuck, do you have time to help others get the logs out of their eye? And if it's God's job to get the log out, how effective are you going to be? No. Your only effectiveness is going to be pointing them to God Almighty, the one who's helped you get the log out of your eye. Man, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? Why? Because that's what I'm looking at. Then I don't have to pay attention to my own. But do not notice the log in your own eye. Jesus is saying this in the Sermon on the Mount. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own? It does not make sense. Tanya, does this not make sense trying to take, uh, help somebody take a log out when you got a log? So when you see somebody with a log, it should drive you to, the, to your face before God to get the log out of your own eye. That's what he's telling us. You take care of you. 
They take, everyone gets taken care of when they have an individual relationship with the living God. The best thing you can do is point them to God. You what? What did he say? What, JT, can you say that in your loud singing voice? Hypocrite. Yes, hypocrite, man. We should get him a toga and let him do it that way, man. I could see him in a toga. You hypocrite. You noticed the log in mine. You didn't notice the one in yours. You hypocrite. First, first, he says, take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And the only way you can take the speck out of your brother's eye is point them to Christ. Almost done if I can get this to switch. JJ, is this switching on the screen? Focus on the on the log in your own eye. It's hard to make good decisions when you can't see clearly. Again, can you see very good with a log in your eye? What if now you got two logs in your eye? Because friends have loaned you logs, <laughs> you know? Can you see? No, so if you can't see, can, can, can you make good decisions if you can't see? Terry, how, what's the most important, uh, how important is a dive mask when you're diving? The mask. Yeah, you can have all the gear and go down there, but if you can't see anything, you're going to make bad decisions and it ain't going to be any fun, is it? Spiritually, you don't get rid of the logs in your own eye. You can't see anything. You can't see anything. You're gonna, how good of decisions are you going to make with a fogged up mask? <laughs> a mask full of water, you know? You're trying to like, ooh, is that a shark or a dolphin? <laughs> you know, Terry doesn't care. He's going to like hug both of them. But, but I'm just saying, dude, you can't. You, so often when people come to me and like, I'm having a hard time making decisions. I'm just not hearing. I'm not seeing things. I'm not, because you got to get some logs out of your eyes. And as a pastor, 33 years, man, I know this. I'm not pointing anybody out here in particular if you've asked me that question recently. This has been 33 years worth of this that God's had to show me. And when you come to me and tell me about it, I have to first recognize I got logs in my eyes that need to go out. Focus on the log in your own eye. It's hard to make good decisions when you can't see clearly. Get the log out of your own eye and you'll see revival. God will show you what he wants to show you. JJ, did you just turn me on? Okay, we know, look at this, going back to chapter 2 in Romans, super quick. We only got a couple verses. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So you're a judge, you're judging because you already know you do the same things they do, you're going to receive the same judgment as them. And the judgment might be eternal, the judgment might be long-term, might be short-term. You know what the worst judgment is on you practicing sin Sin becomes your lifestyle. You wonder, how did you become such a judgmental person? How did you become such a critical spirit? How did that? Have you ever watched somebody become that way? And don't elbow them if they're next to you. I'm just saying. And I wasn't looking at y'all on purpose, I promise. I'm just saying, man. It's like you become like the ones you hang out with, right? You lay down with dogs you get up with. Fleas. Yeah. Yeah, how did I become such a critical person? Why does the, man, I remember when I first got saved, a pastor told a story about 
And this old man, he went in his favorite lazy chair. Man, nice lazy boy like the one I was going to give to Chuck, but I took back and gave to my wife. Man, beautiful lazy boy. In, his, in a favorite room with the famous favorite climate temperature, favorite everything. And while he was sleeping, some kids came in and put Limburger cheese in his mustache. Anybody know what Limburger cheese is? It, go, go check it out, dude. It is the most horrible smelling cheese you've ever had, but it's good on crackers but um, or toenails. No, I'm just joking. But Limburger cheese, they put it in his mustache. So when he woke up, what did he smell? Whoo, this room stinks. Whoo, this chair stinks. We need to fumigate this. Whoa, this everything stinks. Everything stunk wherever the dude went because what stunk? He stunk. Exactly. When you find yourself with a critical spirit, when you can't see the good, when you're fighting really hard, it just might mean you got a log in your eye and you're not able to see clearly and you take care of that. Changing locations, changing groups, changing churches, if you will, changing, changing, changing. The only thing that changing works good on is a diaper. <laughs> Most of the time, it's you that needs to be changed. And then you can see it clearly again. We know the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. The judgment of God is that, dude, your life changes now. Your perspective changes. And if you're not saved, because that's your lifestyle, your eternity, your destiny, you're not going to, if you never, you're going to heaven, you're going to still go to heaven. But if that's really your lifestyle, chances are you're not a believer. And that's who he's actually talking to in context here. He goes on, do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself? <laughs> you who judge those who practice such things and you do them yourself, do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? <laughs> do you suppose that, man, you see the consequences? Well, that's what they get for doing that. That's what they get. They deserve that. That's what, you know... Do you think that if you're doing the same thing, the same thing's not going to happen to you? Yes, you do. Don't we as Americans, don't we as people feel like we're the exception to the rule? When in reality, God is giving us goodness. The only reason you're not getting what you deserve is because God is giving you mercy. And what's the purpose of his mercy? Look at this. You, the purpose of his mercy. J.J., do you suppose it's a good thing? Uh, are we sure you were there? You only have two choices. You can either run from the doctor and let him fix your vision, or you can run from the doctor and let him get uh, your sight get worse. Anyways, look, I'll show you what, the perp, what I was getting ready to say. He said, verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness? Do you presume that he's going to keep judging that person and not judge you? Are you presuming on his kindness? No, why is God being kind to you? Why is God having mercy on you? Look what he says. You're presuming on the kindness, the forbearance, and the patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? Yeah. Why, again, is God letting you see the people with all the logs in their eyes, Brad? Why is he letting you see them? So you can see, ask God to show you the log in your eye. And if he shows you the log in your eye, oh, nope, 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 I don't have a log. You all of a sudden become left-eyed. I don't see that one. Nope, I don't see it. Man, you're presuming on his kindness, his goodness, his patience. But he's being patient to give you a chance to repent so he doesn't have to take this log out and beat your tail with it. I'm just saying. Brad, hey, 
Brandon, you ever had God take the log out and beat your tail with it? Because that's what it was going to take? <laughs> Did y'all hear that? That's hollow. <laughs> Can any of y'all do that? Y'all did that when you were kids? No? Y'all probably had something in there. I don't. I only got the Holy Spirit, man. That's it. <laughs> All right, check this out. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? This word repentance means what you found appealing at some point now makes you sick to your stomach. You've changed your mind. It's like, God, I do not want to be that. I don't want to have that. And you, all of a sudden, it's like, man, I don't like that anymore. I don't want that in my life anymore. That's what repentance is, is you change your mind on how you view something. It's meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. In other words, the consequences are there, the consequences are there, and you're going to wonder how you became the person that you are. And eternally, if you're not saved, he has a bowl of wrath. People don't get what they deserve right now because there's a bowl of wrath. Everything you've done is in this bowl of wrath, and one day God is going to pour it out in righteousness. But if you don't want that poured out on you, you have a choice. You can give your life to Christ because on the cross, He took your bowl of wrath, past, present, and future sins, and He poured it out on Christ. So if He did that for you eternally, man, out of gratefulness, we should get rid of that attitude while we're here and become more and more like Him. So if you've never given your life to Christ, and you're like, well, look at me, I'm better off than most of you Christians who are hypocrites. No, you're not. You've got a bowl of wrath. And if you don't give your life to Christ, he's got two options. He's either going to pour it on you for eternity or he's going to pour it on Christ, which is what he did at the cross, and he can apply that to you. But if he's already done that to you, he paid a great price for you, and you're supposed to represent him. And I don't really remember Christ running around with a log in his eye. <laughs> Do you, Gavin? <laughs> no. So whenever you see someone with a log in their eye, man, ask God to show you the log in your eye. He said, chances are it's going to be very similar to the one you saw in other people. That's what he said in Scripture. And you're going to have to dig deep. And when you see it, man, hopefully it makes you sick to your stomach. And you repent, and you don't want to be that person ever again. And yeah, you might, but hopefully you don't. And each time, you repent. So here we are in summary. There before the grace of God go I, or do I? Sometimes you don't because you don't apply God's grace. There is no room for self-righteousness in Christianity. We're all saved the exact same way. It takes one to know, confess that you're guilty, because you are, what it said. Focus on the log in your own eye, because it's hard to make good decisions when you can't see clearly. You only have two choices when you see the log. You got two choices. You can either run to the doctor, which is Christ, and let him fix your vision. Because again, it's your vision that's suffering right now. You can let him fix your vision, or you can run from the doctor and let your sight get worse. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this hard message in Romans chapter 2. Father, I love how you led Paul to 
to really show one group of sinners who is just so far from you that it was obvious because their sins were not socially acceptable. Their sins were so far from your word and they were outward and external and easy to see and you said that's wrong and they need to be born again to be rescued from that. But Father, in chapter 2, for all of us that are good at not doing them externally but having them internally, Father, I'm grateful that you address that because we are all guilty that's where the Pharisees were. That's where the religious people who crucified Christ were. They needed to see that internally they were no different sin-wise than those who were doing it on the outside. So Father, I pray from this that if anybody's here that needs to be rescued from their sin, that they would know the only one who can rescue them is Christ and that He already did. And they can surrender their life to Him and have His righteousness poured on them and applied to them. And it'll be there forever in a positional sense. But in a practical sense, now they'll have the Holy Spirit of God giving them the power, the desire, and the ability through grace to change what's wrong. Help us, Father, who have you realize that. And Father, I pray. It's so easy to be critical. Father, I pray that anytime that critical spirit, that judgmental heart pops up in my life, in our life. I pray, Father, would drive us to our knees to ask you to show us where we're guilty, not to bring us down, not to make us depressed, but to make us realize how much you love us, that you would reveal that to us and then give us the ability to repent. Thank you for being merciful. Thank you for giving us time. But thank you for giving us this word today so we can apply it to our lives. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. All God's people drift with through a shaka and said, yeah. you.